You're listening to the Lean Built Podcast. I'm Jay. And I'm Andrew. In this podcast, we discuss our manufacturing companies, lean principles, and the freedom that we're pursuing in life and business. So Jay, we closed last episode and you said you had a rant and I said we should put it off to the next episode. And I also had some more detailed lessons from 2023 that I wanted to go over that I needed a little more time to chew on, write down some thoughts. But I want to hear this rant. So you have a rant about lean laid on me. Yeah, I was coming in hot and I've collected my thoughts. I waved off. Yes. Go round, go (laughs) round. So through living life in the shop and responding to comments, putting out videos, uh, training, that type of stuff, there's something that's always bothered me over the years that I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I would actually get a little defensive about it. Now, the context of that would be, for example, I'd put out a video that would talk about lean principles. I'd say about 20% of our videos actually use the word lean. And then some of them, like less than 10%, are actually instructional. It's just not what the majority of the audience wants to hear from Pearson Work Holdings YouTube channel. But there's one guy that anytime that I do a truly intentional lean video, I know that I'm going to get a correction email on Monday morning saying, hey, you said this, but it's actually that. And there's a few principles that jump out. The first one is that lean is flexible. So the Toyota production system of which lean was born, it was really implemented after Toyota realized that they were short on resources, whether it be human resources, natural resources, just of financial resources, and they had to have resources. Oh, all that stuff. Yeah. Tiny Island Nation. And they had to have, which Paul Akers said recently that I love, it's like the next tier definition of lean, is that lean is respect for people and resources. Now, you and I, that's the lean that we practice. I've said in my videos that we practice people-centric lean as opposed to the standard like American profit-centric lean. Because what comes out of profit-centric lean is poor communication, people on the shop floor being pinned down by a manager because they didn't hit their numbers, or it's become completely taken over by academia. Suddenly, there's associations and lean six sigma, all the theory that just, yeah, I suppose it moves the numbers up, moves the company forward, but it really has a negative effect on humanity, on the people, your most valuable resource, human resources. So for me, when we practice lean, what we're trying to do is we're trying to eliminate waste so that we make the workplace easier, so that it's more enjoyable, so that our employees are not frustrated, so that they come in fresh, they're going home with still some gas in the tank so they can be better husbands, better wives, better fathers and mothers, that type of thing. And if I don't want to do something that the academic or even like the Toyota production system says I should be doing, that's my decision. We're just not going to implement that. And one of the things that I love that on the fast cap, the Paul Aker side of lean that we fall under is that we don't 5S, we 3S. We've actually simplified the 5S process. Now, there's a catch there because if you 3S every day, you're actually doing the fourth S, which is sustaining. Um, And then when you sweep, you're also sweeping and you're shining. That's the fifth S. There's lots of things that we're just burying in that. But going back to this guy that told me, hey, Jay, you defined transportation incorrectly. 
when you move parts from one machine to another, that's transportation. But for me, that's wasted motion. That's what we call wasted motion because I've defined it. And just to help, again, I'm doing this so that it's easier to communicate because guys are going, wait, if we move a cart across the shop, is that transportation or is it wasted motion? Well, it's kind of both. It gets fuzzy. It gets gray. So I've defined transportation as everything outside of the four walls of this building. That's transportation, period. Do you understand that? Yes. Anything we do, whether it's machine movement, personnel movement, component movement, any type of movement that doesn't provide value, that is wasted motion. That's it. And this guy's like, you're wrong. Fine. I'm wrong, but I'm wrong in your book. So yeah, lean for me, it's flexible. It has to match the culture of the company. The other thing I was going to rant on is that lean is intentional. So I've had, I go back to probably the worst examples are the drive-by YouTube comments where people will say, oh, I already did that. Or, oh, you taught me that. I just didn't know it had a name. I even had one guy in the shop say, we're doing this lean thing, but I've always been lean. To which I didn't respond to it years ago when that first happened. But today I would say, really, can you name the eight wastes? The answer is typically no. And so lean is intentional. It's like, no, you've been what you've called organized or clean, but you've not done those things with the pursuit of eliminating waste. Like we define lean besides Paul Aker's high level lean thing, respect for people and resources as the practice of identifying and eliminating waste through continual improvement. That's like our functional I'll push back for a minute. So Mm -hmm. certainly some concepts in lean you never do accidentally, but long before I started my explicitly lean journey and started to learn anything about the eight ways to run anything from Paul Akers or anything about the Toyota production system, when I was still in woodworking, I was already carefully organizing my workspaces to eliminate wasted motion. And I was doing that very intentionally, but did not have the vocabulary of waste and wasted motion. But as soon as I read anything about lean, when I first read Two Second Lean, the first thing that clicked for me was like, ah, wasted motion. I know exactly what that's about. I've been fighting that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it gave me words to express a thing. And I think actually, when we bring new employees in and we start to talk to them about lean, about the concepts, the principles, the ideas, the vocabulary, and the eight wastes, that in a lot of cases, A bunch of things instantly click for them because what lean does is give names to things that feel wrong, but you're not sure how to define them. And lean gives me a framework to justify expending the time, the effort, and the money to actually fix them. Yes. Because if you don't, if you're just like, ah, this doesn't feel like working at this machine is just always, it just sucks. But like, I can't take four hours and do nothing else but try to reorganize this whole workstation and fix it. Like, I've got stuff I have to do. But when you have the vocabulary of this is waste, you are creating defects. You are spending time on wasted motion. When you give it that vocabulary and then you can identify this is waste. And waste ought to be eliminated. It's not a question of your preferences, of you liking or not liking this workstation. It's a question of there being actual definable waste 
And that waste demands a solution. And that solution justifies expending resources. A lot of pieces fall into place, but for every employee and for me, not all the wastes make sense equally. Yes. Not all of them immediately give me, oh, yeah, that puts words to a feeling I've had for a long time but didn't know how to express. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Specifically, the one that I struggle with the most is the idea of unrealized potential, underutilized creativity, underutilized people resources. Because that is fundamentally, it's an open-ended, unrealized resource thing. I can look at a rack and say, this bar stock should yield 200 parts, but it only yielded 140 because our sawing process is wasteful. Mm -hmm. Or our machining program is not reliable, or our work holding isn't good, and some of the parts shifted and we had the defect a bunch out, so we only yielded this when we should have yielded that. That's very concrete. That's very reliable. It's easy to express in mathematical terms. The idea of trying to quantify the impact of unrealized human potential in the company, for me, that's the cloudiest, fuzziest of all the wastes and the hardest to sink my teeth into because it's all potential. Yeah, it's a theoretical. We're going to play ping pong, okay? I'm going to push back on your pushback. The fact that you had a woodworking and I had whatever... When I was doing mountain bike mechanic type stuff, yeah, I got sick of my tools being scattered. So you and I both felt the pain of being disorganized because we were engaging in wasted motion, in waiting. The job is still not getting done because we're walking around, we're wasting motion, we're looking for those pliers or something. But that didn't start with the framework of lean. And that's what you've said the same thing that I'm going to say, but like, When you get people like someone that has no framework for lean at all, and you say, these are the eight wastes that we're going to look out for, two of them may be very painful to them. Um, Someone that like looks at the the financial side of it goes, man, we got a great deal on all these fasteners, but we have 50,000 of them. We only use 200 a month, that type of thing. That excess inventory waste would jump out at them. My main point is that Lean is intentional. It starts with the eight wastes. And yes, some things come natural, other things don't. I always wonder yeah, if there's like a ninth I'm not or arguing tenth waste. That a person gets all the way there intuitively, mm-hmm. but that the reason that for me, lean immediately had traction was that it touched on multiple felt problems yes. that I had not clarified a vocabulary for. Oh, yeah. For and us, within the first hour, we're like, this is amazing. Why didn't we do this earlier? It just brings a ton of things into focus that felt bad, but were fuzzy. Yes. Yeah. No. You know what? That's funny story really quick. The, how lean is intentional. It's funny how even that has gotten hijacked because a friend of mine, he worked at a company that practiced profit centric lean. And so they had all the tools and all the buzzwords. And one of them was this glass board, like it's a literal glass whiteboard. And they write their things with, so you could see it, you could conduct a meeting and people could see it from multiple sides and the team on the other side had to be better at reading backwards. Well, when he went to Japan to tour it, they said, oh, wow, your glass boards look very different from ours. They're curved. And they said, yeah, because the original concept was we had a windshield that was scrap 
And so we just threw it on a frame and just started writing on it because we just needed a whiteboard or a chalkboard essentially. And we were using a grease pen. And then you Americans came over and went, oh, wow, look at that. It's so it's viewed from all sides of the room. And no matter which direction it's facing, people on the left and the right can see that it maps to the Gemba, all that stuff. And he said, that's not even close to what we did. It was just, that was a resource. We weren't going to buy a chalkboard or a whiteboard. There's a glass windshield that is not going to be used. Let's use it. That's hilarious. Yeah. So that's it. Yeah. You can still buy like lean glass boards that are, they just got just sucked into it. And that is not the intent of lean. Well, I suppose it is because they're valuing their resources that they do have, but it's Yeah, but me buying an expensive glass board is an inversion of that. Exactly. It's the opposite. Yeah. Lucas Holland from FastCap did a talk, and I can't remember where it was, but one of the things he opened with that was, I think, a really great way to frame his entire talk was, my problems are not your problems. My solutions are not your solutions. Even if we share a vocabulary... The individual things that each company makes and the people they have and the equipment they have and the materials they use are going to mean that their solutions look in some ways fundamentally different. And the different values, like for me out in Indiana, if I have a problem with space, the most efficient solution for me might be to add on to my building Mm -hmm. rather where someplace else where real estate is super expensive and difficult to do. California, it may be more practical to switch to two or three shifts mm-hmm. and have the building that you're in be productive more of the time. Yeah. Fundamentally, that makes a certain kind of sense. But at the same time, from my end, the complexity of adding multiple shifts and having people in the building round the clock creates a whole bunch of other issues that I could solve more cheaply by putting an addition on the building and having everyone here together. For me, One of the biggest single obstacles to the concept of multi-shift is I, as the owner, would immediately be more disconnected from the Gemba Mm -hmm. because a whole bunch of what's happening is happening when I'm out of the building because I'm not going to be there for all the shifts. Mm -hmm. That immediately happened. We noticed it within the first few weeks of moving into our new building in 2021. Suddenly, our Pearson boards, which shows the schedule, we had to turn that into a digital solution because it was just at the other side of the shop. And we had to come up with these solutions. We still keep one up. I think we do just for the sake of uh, touring, just when people come by for a tour to explain how it works. Um, But no, there's lots of things and lean should be flexible within the company. Like I'm not saying like Pearson Workholding needs to do it exactly how Henry Holsters does it because that's how FastCap did it because that's how Toyota did it. No, it's like Pearson Workholding needs to do it different because Pearson Workholding is in a different building or Henry Holsters added on to their existing building, they're going to change lean. It needs to stay flexible. Yeah. And also even my solutions today are not my solutions tomorrow. My Mm. problems today are not my problems tomorrow. When we got into COVID, all of a sudden, the main pain point for us shifted to being supply chain. Mm -hmm. It hadn't been supply chain before. Right. And it wasn't just that our company was growing and changing. Our company grows and changes every year. Some people join, some people leave. Everything is shifting, but the market we're in, the economy we're in, the supply chain we're part of, those are all moving targets. Right. And the way we solve those problems will change Mm -hmm. from year to year. You know, what's funny is we put out a video where I showed, I had a custom written eight waste sheet that's everywhere in the shop. 
including the bathrooms right across from the toilet at eye level. Uh, <laughs> that's a little management hack right there. So that one should have nine wastes on it. It should. <laughs> that's good stuff. Okay. So there was a YouTube comment that came through. Hey, where can I download that little chart? Oh, well, you know what? Yeah, that's a great idea. Let me throw it on. So we have pearsonworkholding.com slash lean. Yep. And there was a eight waste chart that we kind of updated. We facelifted it. We re-uploaded it. And when I went there, I realized like even some of this stuff, this page that I built out four or five years ago, it's obsolete. We've moved on. We've improved on that already. So that's the other thing. Lean is never finished. Like I've told people, we're always going to be at least halfway there. At minimum, halfway there. At gotcha. minimum. Yeah. So you know what? The other thing that in the Toyota production system, one of the things that they say is they don't really try and engage in creating a new process if it doesn't cut the process time in half, which is very ambitious. Whereas yeah. you and I, of course, we're fans of FastCap, Paul Akers, his book, Two Second Lean. If an improvement shaves two seconds, what if you do two seconds for six months straight? You're eventually going to get to that halfway point where you know instead of four minutes, it's down to two minutes. Another great video. I just wish it were updated or better quality because I feel it's like in 380p, but on FastCap's website or their YouTube channel. Have you ever seen that video of the girl packaging their glue, 2P10? Yes. And they the shrink wrap thing. Yeah. And they're shrink wrap and they're spin it glass table. They create a cone, then they take it away and they move stuff around. I love that collaborative type of stuff where you, you get multiple people in. Yes. I agree with Lucas Holland that he says, my solutions are not your solutions. But also, there's you want to standardize the best solution. They did a really great job at doing that in that video. I almost want to do that for a YouTube video. And I have an idea because we use our a Lego kit for the hiring process. And yep. looking at the times, I know we can improve on building that Lego. It's a silly thing, but it is something you can take into any company and measure apples to apples. Hey, did we build it correctly? Yes. Okay, there's quality. Did we build it quickly? Maybe. Let's put in some lean principles, see if we can do higher quality, faster. Safety is not an issue. Simplicity is not an issue, possibly. But no, it's a video that I'm kicking around, kind of kind of putting out there. Last episode, we talked about some lessons, takeaways from 2023. I did a little more thinking about that. I've got a few points I wanted to go over. And first one is I'd mentioned that I wanted to do a better job of communicating the big picture to my employees. And that's part of what we use our lean morning meetings for. At the moment, I run the lean morning meeting every day. We have not gotten to a point where we actually move that around and have different employees do it on different days. And I realized that a lot of companies like FastCap do that where the lean morning meeting running is on a rotation. I have not yet developed a systematized process for building the building blocks of a morning meeting to be able to hand it off. It's more free form right now. Mm -hmm. But when I'm communicating the big picture pieces to the employees, telling them things from my perspective is not sufficient to actually make it comprehensible and actionable for them. I also need to do the work of translating that into specific things from their perspective. Mm. Because my ideas about how the company operates and how I think as the person who's turning the wheel and steering the ship is very different from what the person who's working on the engine or making food in the galley needs to know about how to keep their end of the thing running well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more creativity needed there from me. 
and more collaboration and more delegation so that other people are involved in that process of taking that bigger picture view and making it comprehensible. Yeah. I'm still in the middle of, I'm perpetually in the middle of a lot of books. Mm-hmm. I'm still in the middle of Traction by Gino Whitman. And he talks a lot about rocks, which are these very concrete, pretty ambitious goals for individual employees that have a time deadline of some kind. And we don't currently do anything like that. And the instant I read it, I thought, that's a thing we need to be doing. And it's not just because I want the employees to have measurable goals, but because it forces my hand on delegation. Mm -hmm. It puts delegation on a timeline where I say, I want you, Anthony, to by six weeks from now, completely take over this thing that currently I'm doing and I'm just starting to train you on. It's not going to be a question of us saying, oh, we'll do more training on that when we have time. If it comes up and we have an opportunity, we'll talk about it more. I'll do it most of the time, but every once in a while, I may tap you on the shoulder and pull you in and show you what I'm doing. But six weeks from now, my goal is to hand this off to you completely, and I need to do whatever it takes between now and then to set you up for success for that because six weeks from now, we're launching you. Mm Mm-hmm. Six weeks from now, that's going to be your purview. Let me jump in here because what you're talking about. So I recently finished the book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership by John Maxwell. And I grabbed the book while you were talking. It's law number 12, the law of empowerment, which talks about that. And it lays out a very easy formula for doing that, which is step one, you do it. Step two, that person is with you. You do it, but they're with you. Step three, you do it and they are with you. And so you're, this is shoulder to shoulder. They're not observing. They're, we're, we have one hand. Well, my left hand is here. Your right hand is here. Step four would be they do it. And then if you really want to take it to the next level, step five, you need to encourage the people you equip to take others along so that they can be equipped too. And you're right back to one of the previous steps. You do it and someone else is with you. So it's a snowball and, it, and that's proper delegation. You're equipping them. What I've taken away is that in doing this over the years, unintentionally, so I was not accidentally using one of the laws of leadership, what was happening is it caused me to have to make it instead of like a monologue, here's how you do it, a dialogue. And so our morning meeting is very much like, hey, here's the vision. And then you run it. Hey, how'd that work? No offense, but it was terrible. Great. What'd you learn? Oh, we're going to do it this way. Fantastic. We move the ball forward. It just wasn't the play that the coach called. So that was you do, they watch, you do together, they do, and then they do with someone else. That's right. Yep. Mm -hmm. Every time I come across a new business book and they have this whole schema of things that they do, part of me gets very jaded and it's like everyone feels like they have to have novelty of having their own formulation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like the old 12 rules for life. Read my new book, 13 rules for life. Yep. Check out this new bestseller, 14 rules for life. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> 20, 21 laws is, well, this is a 25th anniversary edition, 4 million copies sold. It's very much a yeah a cornerstone. Yeah, my, but my I know what you is mean. Not to, is not to bring up which books are the latest on the block, but just that anybody who's writing a business book, it is a natural market incentive to try to find a novel way of formulating things. Yeah. Well, they're in business and, too. <laughs> and often that creates unneeded complexity just for the sake of novelty. Yeah. 
That's why I'd say going back, like lean is flexible. Reading books is also flexible. We're going to take five out of the 15 top points that this book is making. Yeah. Utility books are for utility. There you go. Yeah. On the question of delegating and helping employees have a better grasp of the big picture from their perspective and not just from mine and having them have rocks, having them have achievable, measurable goals on a timetable. That also connects to me wanting to see a more concrete plan for clear ownership of areas in the shop. Because a tragedy of the commons is a very normal occurrence where anytime something is shared by a bunch of people or by everyone, it very easily sinks to the lowest level of what anybody will tolerate in that area. Mm -hmm. We do clean the bathrooms on rotation. Everybody takes a turn, which is great. I think that's one of the most Anytime I visited a shop, if you look at their restroom and it's nasty, that tells you a lot about what they're willing to tolerate. And that is an instant glimpse into the culture of the company. Mm -hmm. The bathroom is a space that everybody uses every day. Yeah. There's nobody who's here for eight hours and doesn't use the restroom. Mm -hmm. I could have an alien working for me, but I think that's unlikely. Or an unhealthy person. Or an unhealthy person. They need to hydrate. Yeah. But- the spaces that we share most frequently should be the spaces where we're most attentive in terms of keeping them clean. My office is not well-organized. My office is not lean. There's a lot of things going on in here that I still need to address. It's much easier for me to postpone those and punt on those because I'm the only one who feels the pain of them. Mm -hmm. But common spaces, I want everybody to be able to use them and not find them gross or irritating or problematic. But I think it was Ryan Tierney from Seating Matters in one of their videos showed that they actually put tags on areas, not simply specific machines. And it's not that this machine is Bill's, no one else may touch it. But this area is this person's responsibility. They keep an eye out on this whole area. And that doesn't mean you can make a mess and leave it and they have to clean it up. But if you have a problem or you have a question, this is the point person for this area. Normal hair had a very similar thing. They had a video on their employee badminton courts. They have badminton courts for their employees. They have a factory in China. They have dormitories next door. They have a commissary, a cafeteria, and they have badminton courts. And they made a bunch of improvements to the badminton court. Cleaning tools were labeled and shadow boarded, spare, all this other stuff. They did a bunch of improvements. But they also put up a photo and contact info for the person who is responsible for the badminton courts. If you have a problem or an issue or a question, there's no ambiguous, I need to pass this up the chain. I'm not sure. I'll just talk to whoever in management I usually talk to and see if they know who to talk to about it. But that person's name is on the wall. This is the person you talk to. Now, they have a staff of hundreds of people. And so, there's a lot more diffusion of communication and responsibility there. In our company, anybody who has a problem, if they're not sure who to talk to, they can always talk to me. Mm -hmm. But I do want there to be more ownership of individual areas where someone says, this is my zone and I want this zone, in Norm's words, to be premium. I want everything in here to be clean, in its place, everything labeled. I want people to be able to walk. I want a new trainee to be able to walk into this area. And with the minimum amount of time, be able to orient themselves to all the workspaces, all the tools, understand what gets built here, how it gets done, and be able to 
work through the process. Mm-hmm. Yep. And Good actually ownership. labeling things makes a difference. Mm-hmm. Yep. Putting people's names on things does change how they perceive that area. Mm-hmm. Yep. At the same so. time, we've been very consciously anti-territorial in terms of workspaces. I have my office. It's my office. Nobody mm-hmm. else does work in my office. But when it comes to a lot of shared machines, I do not want people to think this is my machine and I get to set it up exactly the way that I want and nobody else gets to touch it. Mm-hmm. It's not that I don't want them to be able to set it up the way they want. In principle, I want people to be able to configure the workstation so it works for them. If that means changing out the seating at a particular bench, I really like this chair, but this other person likes that chair. I don't want to say, okay, well, then neither of you gets it. Everyone sits on a hard wooden stool. Suck it up. Like I want people to be able to move things around and work in a way that's comfortable. A lot of our benches are adjustable height because we have tall employees and short employees. And I want both of those extremes to be able to raise or lower the workbench height so that they are not struggling with work that's too high or too low for them. Mm -hmm. But I don't want anybody taking a station and setting it in concrete and saying, this is the way it is. Nothing can move. This is my territory. Don't touch it. Mm -hmm. Because that then turns any variation into a conflict between people in a company. And I am opposed to that. Yeah. It's the same concept of why companies use like uniforms. It just dispels any kind of dissent or disagreement. First of all, it's a mark of professionalism. I've only had to send one person home because of what they were wearing one time because it was grossly inappropriate. But did we have a knee-jerk reaction to that? And so, oh, he wore this terrible shirt, so we're all going to switch to uniforms. No, but- Jumpsuits, everyone. (laughs) No, but you know, it's still a community base. Yeah, we jump around. We were talking before this, how I mentioned that on most fighter jets, there's the captain's name of that jet and that's ownership of his airplane. We couldn't do that in the shop because there's so much changing over and there's so many reassigning human resources to different machines. And so, no, it's just, we run it. And that's one of the things that we're going to do starting for next year is to have a maintenance schedule that actually, first of all, identifies what needs to be done. Second, it puts a person on it in a rotation. And third, it puts a time and date on it. Um, Because a lot of those things, we've just relied on the maintenance schedule inside the machines that they'll alert us when we set it for 2000 hours, we need to check these filters. No, it's going to be Alex on the first Friday of the month on the VF2SS, that type of thing. Other things I took away from this year are three S. We do it every day. Not everybody understands it or engages equally in it. For a number of my employees, three Sing is pretty much just time to clean. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad. That's a bare minimum. We want three Sing time to be cleaning, but cleaning is not itself lean automatically. And what I've been finding is It's one thing for me to talk about lean improvements. It's a totally different thing to show people how to make improvements and how to recognize problems and waste. And what I want to start doing as a habit for my 3S time is start using more of my 3S time to do a ride along with somebody for 15 minutes in the shop and work in whatever area they're 3Sing in and point out to them what I spot and then talk through with them how we can change it or improve it. because. You learn better by doing 
than you do by being told about mm-hmm. things. I know I do. I learn a lot faster by putting my hands on something than hearing somebody talk about it. Mm-hmm. And if I do that incidentally, when I feel like it, some employees get the benefit of it. If I do it regularly as a scheduled activity, it will get spread much more evenly across the company. And it's much more valuable, especially to the newest employees to get them up to speed sooner. Because if you're learning to ride a bike and you can't get the bike to balance well enough to really start going on it, you can't ever teach yourself the finer skills of cycling. Mm -hmm. But once you can get going, get the training wheels off and you can ride the bike, then as you ride the bike, you learn to ride the bike better. Yeah. Yeah. And getting those new people on the bike, pedaling on their own, making improvements is the hurdle I have to get over. You know what? That's actually a much easier hurdle to get over in my experience than having to have a legacy employee that's several years into the company and just doesn't follow principles and protocol. I was thinking the other day, okay, so I've discussed, I don't think on this podcast, but we we have four different colors of bins and the red will be filled with raw materials. Blue will be work in progress. Gray means it's finished, good parts, ready to go to inspection or to out to a vendor. And the fourth color is black, which is scrap. We don't want scrap anywhere near any of the red, blue, or gray bins. And so it needs to be segregated and it just goes in a black bin. We're Unfortunately, Udline only sells three colors of bins. So we're like, okay, we need to spray paint it. They can't do red because we already reserved that for raw, R for red, R, raw. And so the black bin just gets like all the scrapped parts, also any wasted, just junk. That's your trash bin because we didn't want people to walk back to our scrap bin by the door, by the saw and throw it away. Just put it in the black bin and then it's placed in a place that is identified. But still like I've walked by and I'm like, oh gosh, I know that's a bad part. Why is it just on the table? It's not in a bin at all. And we keep a black bin on every cart at the bottom just to keep it out of the way. And it's like that we want to segregate those bad parts. Let's do this. And so it's a point of frustration for me. And I don't know, it's, I find that we harder. We use a lot of clear bins and we put bands of colored tape around them to give mm. us more options for colors than just what Uline sells. We use red and blue Uline bins in our shipping area mm-hmm. to indicate things that need custom builds versus things that are inventoried items. Blue orders are just pull it off the shelf and ship it. Red bins are normally things that we have to do some build for. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we have the same thing. We have defect bins at every bench and I never, ever want bad parts floating. Yeah, that's right. That's one of the easiest ways to actually, it is the easiest waste to eliminate defects. You just make sure like this is not one of our processes, but guys have naturally, especially like guys that have worked in other shops. If a part is bad, you mark it with red dicum, and then it's just understood. And it marks not just that it's a bad part, but what is bad about it. Oh, broke a tap, thread, that hole gets marked with dicum. But yeah, it's something that I, if you don't talk about it, you don't explain it, the new guys in the shop will not engage in that workflow either. Yeah. It's unnatural. Well, those are my big picture things. Obviously, they're not super big picture. Mm-hmm. There's nothing enormous, fundamentally different about how I think I need to run the company Mm -hmm. next year. We saw a lot of growth this year. 2023 was kind of like being strapped to a bottle rocket, a big bottle rocket. Didn't blow up, but we definitely flew high fast. Mm -hmm. And that was really stressful. This has been a hard year for me. As much as I've enjoyed the growth and there've been many good things about it, 
there's been a lot of wear and tear on me this year, and it has not been fun mm. in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I would like to not have next year have such a steep curve mm-hmm. just because the cost is high. And if the company's growing, great. If we're hiring and we're finding great people, awesome. If we're generating profits and paying taxes on those profits, okay. <laughs> but as the owner, if this current company doubled and I didn't come up with a bunch of fundamentally different ways to handle a lot of the responsibilities that currently wear on me, I would have a breakdown. Yeah. I've seen that too. Not with you, but with other people. And recognizing that this year, a number of times I got pushed pretty close to my ragged edge and realized I have to pull back from that. I can't keep doing this. And certainly, even now compared to working by myself 10 years ago, the amount of stuff that I can just gut my way through on little sleep is declining. Mm. I do not have the same ability to just put it in four-wheel drive low and just crawl through it. Right. And it's not that I can't get the work done. It's I just don't recover Mm -hmm. as well. I get sick more easily. I am less useful the next day. If I start at eight, and I've got a long day and I stay till 2 a.m. grinding on something I'm working on. Mm-hmm. The next day, I am noticeably underperforming. Yeah. I cannot make decisions as well. I don't think as clearly. Things irritate me more. I just, I'm clearly diminished. And that's a trajectory that I don't think is going to change over time. I don't expect to suddenly discover some new superfood or some kind of mushroom coffee water yeah. substitute and suddenly be like, twice as productive on the same amount of sleep. Well, certainly if there's like someone out there that's listening to this and can power through it, that's not sustainable. It's not a long-term plan. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned this on a previous episode, but part of my secret sauce is that my main job now is to create mental margin, to be more sharp, to be more creative, to be just more available. And so I saw a Jeff Bezos interview where they were asking him, what does a day in the life of the CEO, creator, founder of Amazon look like? One of the things is that he prioritizes sleep. He's like, you have to get good sleep. Another guy, I don't know who it was, but I think it was Andrew Huberman, Dr. Huberman said, if sleep were a performance enhancing drug, it would be the number one most banned drug. It has that much of a profound effect on performance, not just in athletics, but just I'm convinced in life. And for me, I've spent the past year, maybe a little over a year, doing every Wednesday out of office where I'm not involved in decision-making, I'm not involved in production, I'm not involved in communication. My goal is to stay at home and work in this little office here for the entire day, just on creative tasks. Sometimes it's like, man, I've been running hard. I'm just going to play bass for an hour in the middle of the day at 10 a.m. just because that's going to fuel me up for the next decision or the next creative task. But for sure, like creating that margin in my life, that I would say, if I ever write a book someday, that would be my secret sauce that really helped me function and the companies grow at the pace that they've been growing is creating margin. Because as an owner, as a CEO, as a president, if you're always running around ragged, your company will not exceed the energy that you put into it. I'm just convinced of that because you won't have vision. pedal powered and you run out of gas. Yeah, no. And so you're the driving, you're the visionary, you're the one that, you know, 
says, this is where we're going to go. And I don't have all the ideas, but this is what I want to make. So like, for example, in 2018, I had a vision to bring on like an automation division, namely like electromechanical electronics. And now Carlos, one of our most valuable engineers or employees, really, he has the same approach where we get paid by the idea. And it sometimes ties into 40 hours a week. Sometimes it's 25, sometimes it's 65. And so it's really based off of the energy that we have that gets translated into creativity, that gets translated into an idea that the rest of the team can execute on, like the production guys. So for me, really, if I were to look back, I would say that we have five products that we're going to be rolling out. We're going to get three launched by the end of the year, well, certainly by the end of when this podcast airs. But it was due to that because I had every Wednesday off for 52 weeks where I was just by myself working on business development no interruptions, no responsibilities. Yeah. The power of that is pretty profound. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can't just do that. That's the thing. I wanted to do that. I had a vision to do that for a long time, but until you empower your team to, and you have to practice delegation, you have to lower your expectations. There's your way, there's my way, and there's the right way. And too many people think my way is synonymous with the right way. There's times where we'll say, Hey, we really need this fixture. It's going to do this come back a couple of days later. Well, it's not what I was envisioning, but it got designed, it got made, it's making good parts. It's good. It's not great. Well, we should have collaborated more. Uh, there's certainly been those conversations over the past year, but really by me starting with the principle of empowering my team and engaging in like good, healthy, communicative delegation, it's allowed me to hit that upper echelon of not coming in and working on business development every Wednesday. It's a step. Yeah, it's a layered I'm pretty process. Far from that point, but there's no question in my mind that it would be an improvement mm-hmm. for me to get to a point where I could reliably take a day of the week out of office. I'm not even close to that currently. So fast forward this 20 years, if you ever want to sell Henry Holsters, that's one thing that the investors are going to look at. How much does this company rely on the presence of the president or the owner? And if it works programmatically or principally or process-based, they're going to be like, great, we can take him right out and we can put in our management or our oversight and it works just fine. Yep. Well, I'm pretty whipped for today. It's been a long day, long week. Mm -hmm. I'm going to finish out 2023 at about eh, 65, 70 miles an hour, driving at cruising speed. We don't have any big deadlines before the end of the year. For us right now, we're working on topping up all of our inventory so that we can come into January because we take a week off. The entire shop is closed Mm -hmm. from Christmas to New Year's, which means when we reopen in January, we're going to have a backlog of orders to ship, pretty sizable backlog of orders. And so we certainly don't want to come into that with any of our standard items below normal inventory levels. Mm -hmm. So for the last bit of the year before the break, we're going to be doing internal inventory maintenance jobs, topping everything up, making sure all of our packaging is set. And then I'm going to be coming in some during that closed week to work on some equipment, to rearrange my office, to do the kinds of things that I can just play around with and not have any deadlines. Mm -hmm. Because when I come to work, I remember John Saunders calling it a day off in the shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really like that concept because I have to give myself explicit permission if I'm going to be at the shop, the shop context dictates working on deliverable projects. Mm-hmm. That's what being here means for me. But if I give myself explicit permission to say, I'm going to the shop for a day and nobody else is going to be there, 
and I can work on whatever I want. Mm -hmm. I don't have any deadlines. I can fix the things in my office that bug me. I can spend an hour and a half working on something minor just to enjoy working on it and solving it. That's totally fine. And the end result is going to be when I come back into my office next week, I'm going to enjoy being there more because I made these changes. And that is enough justification on its own to spend that time. I agree. I don't think you need to justify it. I think that's a great business strategy. That's fantastic. Yeah. When I say justify, I'm talking about the reasoning that I give to myself to quell the feelings of I'm not working on what I'm supposed to be working on. If I'm here alone for a day working on anything, I don't have to explain myself to anybody else in the company. Yeah. Nobody else even knows what I worked on for that day. I was here. I did something. Who knows? Yeah. But for myself, the tyranny of the urgent, that there's always these things that are just screaming at me in the shop, need to deal with this, need to do this, need to fix that, need to figure this out, need to decide on that. To say to myself, I am unprioritizing those things today. Mm -hmm. They still exist. They're completely legitimate. And I'm choosing to do nothing about them today. Yep. Love it. That's healthy margin. That's great. Yep. Yeah. Well, thanks, Jay. It's been quite a year. I look forward to catching up with you in January. Yeah. Happy New Year.